0: Welcome to another episode of Steve's Speed Shop Brought to you by Warranty Wise The UK's best warranty provider Get a quote from them today at warrantywise.co.uk We're brought to you by Mini Sports Specialising in the classic Mini since 1967 And we're brought to you by West Coast Motorcycles They sell Harley Davidsons Lots of them and very lovely they are too Find them on Facebook at West Coast Motorcycles. Ben Hardman is the third generation of a classic bike dynasty. His grandfather founded Unity, what became Unity Akeep, who are world famous for uh, classic British sporting motorcycles. He's still hard at it today. He makes exhaust for bikes and they go all over the world. He's been brought up. His whole life around classic British motorcycles. A great guest, a younger guest on Speed Shop. My guest this week, Ben Hartman. Do you remember Absolutely Fabulous on the telly? Yeah, bits bit soft, a bit soft. Bit soft.
1: Right. So basically... I'm a bit too, bit too young.
0: <laughs> well, basically, Jennifer Saunders played a woman who was an amalgam of sort of different 1960s fashion and design and... and, and television people and way into a sort of middle age she was still partying hard i won't say you know she was still knocking back the bollinger and maybe a few uh a few substances that uh you know quite popular in the 60s which meant that her daughter went to the other extreme and she was incredibly straight and studious didn't drink didn't touch drugs didn't do anything like that and I just wondered if being brought up in the environment that you were, there was ever any possibility that you were going to say, don't want anything to do with motorbikes, not interested, I'm going to go off and be a beekeeper or, you know, I don't know, uh, a poet or something like that. Was Were you always uh, destined to be involved with bikes?
1: Yeah, that's my little brother. I've always been like my dad's first son. So I got just thrown into motorbikes. Must, must have a motorbike. I, I don't know anything but motorbikes. But well,
0: what's your first Where's memory? Me? What I can clearly remember sitting on my dad's bike. He had a, not a, quite a garage. He had a garage where he kept his car and then he had a lean-to as well because we only lived in a little, you know, we didn't, we lived in a, Coronation Street-style terrace house, but my dad built a garage at the back and there was a lean-to and he used to keep his bikes in there and he was always chopping and changing them because he was a bit of a wheelie dealer, my dad on the side. Do you remember that yeah. when when blokes, particularly in the north of England, would have a regular job in a mill or a factory or, or doing whatever they did, driving a wagon? And then on the side, they'd yeah. have a bit of another job, wouldn't they? Do you know what I mean? And my dad was like that. Yeah. He'd, he'd, he'd work nine to five in the mill and then he'd come home and he'd do little jobs on cars and bikes, for other, or he or he'd buy an old wreck of the car with a knackered engine, and then yeah. he'd get another one that was rusty as hell, drive it round, and swap the engines in the street outside our house. <laughs> you know, with like an airframe over the car. The names, I think, yeah. I think my dad was the hardest man on our. He's quite a, he's farming type, my dad. And he's, he's, he's yeah. a very nice man, but he's, when he was in his prime, he was not the sort of bloke that you want to get on the wrong side of. So I used to see our neighbours looking at these two Morris Miners nose-to-nose outside our house, one with a knackered engine and the other one rusty but with a good engine. And they'd be there for a couple of days. Nobody ever said anything. <laughs> <laughs> they'd, yeah. just, they'd just <laughs> walk past and give it a funny look. And then go, oh, yeah, don't say anything. It'll, they'll be gone in a couple of days. It'll be gone in a couple of days. <laughs> but I, my strongest memory is as, as, as a kid is going and trying to sit, trying to climb up on them bikes when, when I literally had to climb up onto the seat and trying to yeah. reach the handlebars and thinking, one day I'll be able to reach the handlebars and then I'll be away. And I more or less was, although yeah. not, not on my dad's bike. He would have killed me. But, you know, that, <laughs> that, that would have been a terrible idea. What's your first memory of bikes?
1: It's just, yeah, it's in the blood. My granddad started his shop the same way as what you're talking about. He, uh, there were three Rochdale chaps, and they all had other jobs and just set up a motorbike shop. Yeah, but it's and a, used to go f- in hold on, on
0: hold days. on, hold on, Ben. It's, you're saying a shop like it's just some shop in Rochdale. They started a shop <laughs> that's that's famous throughout the world of motorcycling. Tell tell people who, who what, what this shop ended up being.
1: I think it was, we were selling it now. Some Bantam John's trying to sell it, and I was telling some guy the other day, I think it's probably one of the longest-lasting shops. Maybe. Could be in the world. You'd have to look into that. Really? But it's 60-year-old, the name. Yeah. They set it up in the 60s. Uh, and they were just, yeah, my granddad and two of his mates decided to set up a motorbike shop because all the other shops were closing down. And they just went round rounding up, like what you say, bits out of garages and bits out of old shops and stuff like that and just hoarded it all in a in an old co-op building in Castleton, which is on the edge of Rochdale.
0: Did he think, uh-huh. correctly, um, unlike lots of people, did he think they're throwing all this stuff away? But I know. Because the other one, I'm a berry lad, you're Rochdale, right? Two towns yeah. north of Manchester, well, one slightly to the east, but... North of Manchester, old industrial towns with a proud industrial heritage, plenty of bike shops back in the day. But when I was starting to get into bikes and scooters and and all that in the sort of late 70s, early 80s, they were all closing down. Because, of course, we had Jim Sandifords, which was a big deal. It was a big deal. Um, he was the Montessori importer. He sold uh, for trials bikes and, and off-road bikes. It was a big, glitzy motorbike shop, and he was opposite the Porsche dealer. So that was, I would literally, I mean, for kids, this must sound ridiculous. You know, when you say, oh, well, what we did for fun, and I'm a lot older than you, but I would just sometimes walk up there to look through the window, and I'd be there for an hour or two just looking at all the cool stuff. There was a Porsche dealership and a motorbike shop across the road. So when I'm like 11, <laughs> I'm like thinking, I'm going to get one of them, and I'm going to get one of them, and I'm going to, <laughs> you know, like that. Just you, you, What <laughs> yeah. did you do? Dad, what did you do for fun back in the day? We used to stare through windows at things that we couldn't afford. <laughs> it
1: used to go down, it was Dean's Gate, weren't it? All the old guys that come in here said they used to go down into Manchester, and at the bottom of the end of Dean's Gate. Not mill
0: not Millmate, it was the, yeah, the bottom end Hedge of Dean's
1: gate. at The bottom end, yeah, there no. were load of motorbike shops. I they used were to... all cy- cycle shops, weren't they, really? A push bike shops kind of thing that turned into motorbike shops. They well, steered and stuff.
0: Well, you make a very good point, because that's how a lot of manufacturers started in this country, didn't they? They were, they were yes. bicycle manufacturers, because Rover, Rover Cars, made the transition to Cars... Via motorcycles, but started with bicycles, and I didn't know that the bicycle as we know it around the world. If he said to somebody, "If I said to you and you said to me, draw a bike, draw a bicycle," we draw yeah. the Rover safety bicycle. It was yeah. the one that the one that we know the with the. you from smashing your teeth on floor. <laughs> ben, have <laughs> you ever ridden penny. a? Pe- have you ever ridden a penny farthing? No, but I'm six foot
1: odd though, so oh. I'm probably quite suited to one, mate. They yeah, are, right. Here's the thing. They've they got. I, didn't
0: remember I, <laughs> I rode one from the that was in the collection at the Lakeland Motor Museum. You know, up there on Windermere. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I rode one from there, and they said, "You sure you want to do this?" Like the Alan, the guy who who supervises stuff up there. He said, "Are you sure you want to do this, Steve?" He said, "They're really dangerous, you know." And I went, "Yeah, but I won't go that fast." And he went, "It's not how fast you're going; it's how high up you are." So I said, "What yeah. do you mean?" And he said, "Well, depending on how tall you are." When you sat on it, your head is between eight and a half and nine foot off the ground. And I thought, oh, my God, you're joking. And I hadn't thought. And I, I got up on it. I would climb on a wall to get on it. And yeah. he, I got on it. And then he had two blokes to catch me when I got to the other end of the road. And he made sure it was on the flat. He said, you don't want to go downhill on one of these unless you really know what you're doing. And the brake... Yeah,
1: that's it. You hit a curb and it just fires you over the top, doesn't it? I sides you like, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did a bit of reading at the time. Because, of course... They were very popular for racing. There there are pictures of them being raced on uh, cycle tracks. Oh,
1: velodromes, yeah. Velodromes.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Velodromes. Crazy. Yeah. And um, apparently when you came off like that and, and banged your head, it was it was known as taking a header. There was actually a term for it. And and in the in right. the reports of the racing it'd say Cripson-Smithson uh, fought a battle for the win, but Cripson took a header and Smith... You know, it was like they had a specific turn. And the number of people... Have yeah, got, that's where breakneck speed comes from. Breakneck itself, speed! Do you know what, mate? you abs- Yeah, absolutely bang on. But I say this, it's... To off. It's one of those funny things, and it, it translates from the world of bicycles directly into bikes yeah. and cars,
1: where people... Yeah, no-one no had anything else, did they? Everyone had a push bike. it was... Yeah, swap your, your arse out for a push bike, didn't you, <laughs> really?
0: Yeah, but, mate, everyone, you say everybody had a push bike. Right. You know the film The Leather Boys? You all know that film because it's full of British bikes. The one that's based yeah. at the Ace Cafe, on all black and white, what they used to call a kitchen sink drama, where they, where, they, yeah. where they explored sort of themes that hadn't really been talked about in British society, like, you know, uh, sort of, uh extramarital sex or homosexuality or issues around race and stuff like that late 50s early yeah. 60s and the leather boys is a very daring film to be made at that time you didn't really talk about that sort of thing in polite society like very street in a way yeah exactly it's urban exactly yeah. so they get married the two the two main characters and they go to a holiday camp pontins butlins i can't remember which one it was When they arrive on their motorcycle, because obviously they haven't got a car because they're working class and it's the early 60s. So they get to the holiday camp and there's a massive car park out the front and there's a load of bicycles, a load of motorbikes and sidecars and half a dozen cars. (laughs) And you think, yeah, that's what it was like. Most working class people had a bicycle to get around on or if they were posh, a motorbike. Or, if they were a bit posher and had a family, a motorbike and sidecar.
1: Yeah, so in the 50s, they were massive, weren't they? Motorbike shops. And Oops. then in the 60s, cars cars become massive.
0: Yeah, and then people. And
1: then, yeah, that's when Granddad set up his shop. Like you'd see at the wrong time. <laughs> no, 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 the right job. time. Because I, I was. But yeah, we've already mentioned King again.
0: We've already mentioned scooters, and and back in the day, I was I was big into them, and I went. I still like yeah. them. I like them to look at. We've said this before. You're Do... a
1: Manchester mother.
0: Exactly. Don't ride one because yeah. it'll put you off. <laughs> right. But look at yeah, them. No, they're... I'm not. Yeah. They're beautiful. Right. So. I went, and I, me and a mate of mine had an idea. We thought, the price of spares is getting ridiculous because there's so many of us kids that are getting into them and the prices are going crazy. Let's go to the source. Let's go to Italy. And most places that we went, we had a book called Worldwide Lambretta, published in 1964. It had the addresses of every Lambretta dealership in the world in 1964. So we just got on a plane, rented, this is how long ago it is, rented a Fiat Tipo, (laughs) 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and drove round to the addresses, and almost everywhere we went, people said, "They went Lambretto Innocenti, finito." And did like the throat cutting thing, finito. Like, and the guys pointed, pointed at the calendar, finito. Like, it's gone. It's gone. It, one guy pointed at the calendar and ripped the day off, as if to say, "It's in the past." Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. trying to, try to talk to each other. One guy we went to in a place called Pichenza, just south of Milan, well, a bit south of Milan, he was having his lunch, and he didn't really speak English, but the guy in the cafe did, and he said, if you wait till he's had his lunch, he'll take you over the road and show you something that will blow your mind, and we thought, right, okay. So it was exactly the same as your granddad. In 1972, when Innocenti had stopped making scooters and started making minis instead, which again is a sign of of progress, he thought, do you know what I'll do? I'll go around all the local Lambretta dealers and buy up all this old stock that nobody wants, and I'll just put it in the shed at the bottom of the yard. So we went over the road with him, and he opened the door. And it was like when I would Carter broke into Tutankhamun's tomb in the Great Pyramid. It was like, except for scooters, he opened the door and it was like dazzling delights. It was like, you know, we, we couldn't believe it. It was there was the sarcophagus of the boy king, except it was brand new, brand new crankcases still wrapped up in greaseproof paper with the Innocenti logo, brand-new shockers, brand-new stator plates, pistons. We were like, oh, my God. We just said, totally, uh, uh, totally, because we, like, we just said, we'll take the lot, mate. We'll have, we'll have the lot. We'll take everything that's in here. And your granddad did the same thing, didn't he? He thought, people don't seem to want all this British stuff but one day they will. Yeah, one on day, to job day they will.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They were all setting up Honda shops, weren't they? Yeah. That's what they were doing. Even, yeah, like the stalls and stuff. He swapped from doing Nortons to doing Hondas, Honda kits and stuff. Everyone were doing Honda kits and Honda pipes and Honda megaphones and Honda bodywork and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, to put on the 750s. And no one wanted none of the British stuff anymore, did they? But they were still running them. Everyone was still running them to get to work, weren't they?
0: Well, this is the heartbeat cool. thing, get it, Ben? Because my dad, yeah, my dad. If you watched Heartbeat, which actually was set in the '60s, but ran for about seven years longer than the decade, so, so yeah. it was uh, they all, <laughs> when it, when it came on, there'd always be like a bit of music, like Cliff Richard or the Beatles. And then there'd yes. be loads of moggy miners and minis of Mark One escorts. And like my dad said, in the actual sixties, he said, Your father, your grandfather used to run an Austin sixteen, a pre war Austin sixteen. Yeah, he'd run uh, round in the forties, fifties. Yeah, and he said well and he said my dad says my first car was a Morris eight. He said, When I was caught in your mother yeah. I had a Morris eight. But you never saw anything
1: modern yeah, a, a brand new one, can you?
0: Well, that's the movies, isn't it? When when a movie set yeah. In the seventies, they make the mistake of just having seventies cars, whereas in the actual seventies, lots of people were still driving sixties and even fifties cars because
1: yeah, keeping them running weren't they? Getting yeah. the manuals out and doing the points themselves and stuff like that.
0: Well, in Bury, <laughs> to, in Bury, of course, yeah, in Bury, of course, we had. There wasn't just your granddad because there was, of course, there was Sid in Bury, weren't there?
1: Sid's place, yeah. My dad raced for Sid's place before he raced for Did my granddad. He?
0: You yeah, know you know what I ha- he- you know what happened with Sid shop don't
1: you do you know they burnt down didn't it burnt down when I was like a little lad, I think
0: well yeah but in the end the, in the end it had to be demolished and they said <laughs> he was a character everybody in the bike game back then was a character weren't they there yeah. were no, yeah, there, well, were was, no time, yeah. there were no salesmen. yeah there there were no salesmen with clip-on ties and and like pens in the top there was always like some Mad Old Geezer, and I say that in the, the we had John John Redford in Bury. And he just dealing yeah. dealing with him was a nightmare. It, go, I mean, you know, we loved the <laughs> guy, we loved the guy and he was a great help to us. He he taught us a lot because we knew Nouute. And we'd go in and pester him yeah. and and we could tell that he was really annoyed. Because he was like late middle age by then and sort of heading towards retirement. And on a Saturday shop, yeah. you shop, you shop would be before a sixteen year old lads knew nothing about asking him for like saying to him why won't this fit on my scooter and he was going well because your scooters a two-stroke and this is for a four-stroke you idiot get out of the shop <laughs> you know then but that was how you like you thought oh yeah you can't you can't put that on a you know you learn by asking the old the older generation except in our case we'd skipped a couple of generations you know so we were asking a guy who sold things that were popular in the fifties, and we were asking him in the eighties? You know, we were going. Yeah. Uh, well, this will these wheels go on my? I remember. I, I um. In fact, my dad helped me out with this. I got some tyres for my scooter, and I had a Vespa. Don't hold it against me. I had a Vespa 150 <laughs> Super. It was bathtub blue, and it was it was quite a rare a rare scooter because I'll tell you for why. Not only did it not have. 10 inch caster like wheels it had even smaller wheels it had eight inch wheels right so i was struggling to get tires and i managed to get a pair of tires and i put them on i put them on the rims and i pumped their tubes obviously i pumped them up and i set off down our back street and i thought what the what the steering was crazy and so i was trying to work out what was going on and my dad came out and back in the day my dad had he'd come out and he'd he, he wasn't keen on scooters. My dad had been a rocker back in the day, so when me and my brother took to scooters, it was almost like saying, right. "It was, yeah. it was like a terrible thing." As, <laughs> my, my dad he just walked away from that. He did encourage it. <laughs> he sort of, he sort of got into it later on, but at first, he was like, "You know," I said before, nah. "It was, it was." It, <laughs> You can't say what it was worse than saying because this is modern times, but it was almost like coming out. I had to come out as a scooterist. You know what I mean? And my dad was, to be honest, a bit ashamed at first, but he got over it. Yeah, so he on just this went and occasion, oh yeah. Well, he sort of he points at him with his pipe. I smoke a pipe. He points at her with his pipe, and he'd go, "They're unsafe, them things." And he was right, he was right, because, you know, he'd had a, uh, his first bike on the road. Get this, my dad's first bike on the road. What What do you think? Back in
1: the I don't day. I like a C15, a
0: small RBSA. Yeah, C C15 Bantam. or a Bantam. That's what you'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah.
1: Aerial
0: square four. Well,
1: that's a, that's a test, isn't
0: it? <laughs> first bike!
1: Aerial yeah, square,
0: 1,000cc, four-cylinder motorcycle, my dad's first bike on the road, and get this—he caffed yeah. it. He caffed it, and I said to him, "Yeah." Because I'd ridden them and stuff like that. This is like, this is recently I had this conversation with my dad, and I said, "Not really a good bike to start with." And my dad went, "No, terrible, too heavy, rubbish brakes. The back cylinders used to overeat if you gave it too much stick." You Know all that sort of stuff, so he quickly swapped that and for the sort of more predictable 650 try on some beezers and all that and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and then when Fast. I was literally had a commando, uh, but oh. it was it was the one it was the one that had the crazy seat unit. Was that the high line or the fastback? Which one was that? The Fast one with the, back. the
1: Fast fastback, back, yeah. yeah, fastback commandos with like a real weird duck tail thing on the back of it that don't work.
0: It was yeah, one of those things, model, aren't yeah. It was one of those things where the British motorcycle industry went. We haven't got any money to alter the things that matter, so let's just
1: yeah, let's put a new body on it.
0: <laughs> let's stick a party hat on it and see if people think see if people want to buy it.
1: Yeah, see if it's someone in another country will buy it. Really.
0: <laughs> so you still haven't told us because I won't shut up about your first motorcycling memory. So go on.
1: I'd say with that, uh, going into my granddad's shop, a bit like your memories. uh, I can remember being really young and my mum said I had measles and she had to go to work. So she just dumped me at my dad's workshop. And I remember just playing around and my mum said I were only like two. And I remember crawling around on the floor with a piece of chalk, just drawing things on floor. Mm -hmm. And my dad had thrown me in the van and sent me down to my granddad's shop. And then in there, you just crawl around upstairs. It was like a climbing frame. Because they were just piles of frames, piled high <laughs> going different floors, exhaust pipes and frames. And I remember climbing all over them as a young boy.
0: <laughs> oh, how safe! <laughs> what could possibly yeah. <laughs> go wrong? <laughs>
1: just, go, just go and play upstairs, Ben, <laughs> kind of thing. And then my first motorbike riding memory: we used to go to Donington Park every year for motor GP, and my dad would throw our Pee-wee fifty in the back of the van. Wow. And we'd spend like four days just bombing around Donington paddock on it. Because back then they were just it was just one big field, and you could just do whatever you wanted, couldn't you? Up fires and yeah,
0: my lads' first yeah. my lads' first uh, memory of biking. My son is a is a Pee Wee Eighty, and uh, it was quick. It belonged to a yeah. mate of mine. Uh, but his son wasn't that keen on it, and uh, we, we'd we gone riding it around these fields. Do you remember what you used to just... I wonder if you do remember this, where you'd just go to a random field with no idea of who owned it or whether you were allowed to ride yeah, there.
1: Yeah, on, <laughs> on, on backfield, where there's a, already a square cut because someone else has uh, been round it on a motorbike.
0: Yeah, but here's my point. Yeah. Here's my point. If you were kids, people seemed back in the day to be quite tolerant. They'd look, and you could almost see them going, Oh, it's only kids, leave them be. There was there was yeah, more it just of had, a Yeah
1: on that bit of spare land, innit? He's just he's just having a bit of fun on that bit of spare land.
0: I think people thought
1: yeah, it, it was,
0: there was a lot more if you saw boys doing dangerous stuff like swinging rope swings over rivers and stuff like that. There was a I'd like, nah, be right. <laughs> Yeah, there was a large part, particularly I think particularly here up I don't know if it's particularly up north. I don't think it is. I think I'm I'm generalizing there. I think Within Britain, there was a thing like, "Oh young lads doing dangerous things? Well, young lads will do that, so best to leave them be. They're not bothering anybody else, just let them be. Whereas now somebody'd be straight on the phone. and they? "Oh, these lads are swinging on a rope over the river, and you think, "Well, yeah, I mean, you know that's what that's what boys do. It's called testosterone. It's, you know it's like, what are you going to yeah. do? Lock them in a room and get them to play get them to play video games." It's like <laughs> I hear a lot of guys my age moaning about that sort of stuff, and you think I sometimes think, "Oh, shut up, you moaning old git!" But then I say, "I've
1: got i I've got a good theory on that, you know." Go but on, you man. know, when you were growing up, yeah, when you were growing up, it, it were literally all a building site everywhere, weren't it? It wasn't playing all the plums in the sixties. Yeah, and everywhere were a building site, and then when we were at school, I remember the policeman used to come in and say, "Don't play on building sites," and that's because I grew up in the nineties. And they were building houses everywhere, weren't they? So we had we had watched videos and yeah, houses well, have been playing in the sand can collapse on you and stuff.
0: Do you know what, Ben? <laughs> I think you're right, because I was doing yeah. I was okay. doing my I was doing my growing up in the 70s and we used to and being from the part of the world that we are, when I was doing my growing up, that's when the manufacturing industry in this part of the world the, the the cradle of the industrial revolution, the northwest of England and towns like Bury Bolton, Rochdale, Oldham, Ashton, Macclesfield, the traditional industries, Bury's a paper town or it was a paper town, they were just being yeah, hollow, just they flopped, were just being hollowed it. out. And it, it didn't happen yeah. gradually. It wasn't like, oh, over forty years. When I was a no, kid about
1: 10 years.
0: when I was a little kid, there were yeah. there was Wiggins Teep, Eastlanx, Bibby and Baron Wilds, olives, transparent. There were numerous large paper mills in the small town of Berry Lancashire. By the time I left school, yeah. there were like two left out of all of that. And the problem was they were preparing us to go and work in that industry. So when we were when we were kids and we were choosing our options in education, they were going, You've got to do technical drawing. And I was like, I don't want to do technical drawing. They went, Well you go because you know it was almost like Oh, you get a good job in the paper industry. You can't do technical drugs. you know. And you've got to do you've got to do physics and you've got to do chemistry. Nobody's, nobody's yeah,
1: engineering. Yeah, and then working they, paper mills
0: exactly. And then they kicked us out into a world where there weren't any paper mills anymore because they'd gone to in the in the case of the one where my dad worked, Wild's, the machinery had been shipped to the Philippines, where there was yeah. where there's where there was then a paper mill there instead because. The, to an extent, you can see why it didn't make sense to bring cotton from India or wherever to Lancashire, or bring timber from Canada, where the majority of it came from. And if you don't, yeah. if you don't think that, then go to what's now called Sulfur Keys, and you'll see street names like Toronto Drive and and you know Ottawa Street and all that sort of stuff. A hell of a lot the timber. That that fueled the Lancastrian paper industry came from Canada. So at some point, somebody yeah. went, "Why are we dragging all this timber halfway around the world? Why don't we have the mill next to the forest? That makes a lot more sense." You can see why. But my yeah. my issue with it is, why didn't they think of what we were then going to do? We, we this should there should have been more forward planning in terms of we're going to have a lot of people, millions of people who came to this part of the world. To do a specific job. I mean, my family on me, well, my kids on, on, on their mother's side, they came down to the Lake District to work in Accrington in the mills there. And on my I'm, side, I'm are you from Bake Up,
1: I'm from Bake Up, me. So yeah. that's like shoe capital of the world, isn't it? Slipper factories everywhere.
0: Yes. I know. Yeah.
1: yeah. My mum actually, my mum used to work in a, in a shoe factory and they used to make insoles. And they still do now. There's
0: still a shoe, bit shoe factories left in Bakup. Sorry, did you say insoles? I thought you said something else, wasn't it there? No, insoles, yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. But the, so, yeah, so here's the thing, and here's how we relate it to what we're talking about. I do think it's interesting, though. Um, people didn't think that the Lancastrian, and in Yorkshire as well, particularly, we're Lancastrians, but, you know, I've got many friends over, Leeds, Bradford, Huddersfield, Sheffield, that part of the world, and the industry there was yep. e- equally significant, and the same thing happened to the Sheffield steel industry and the Bradford and the Huddersfield textile industry. It was, yeah. it was ruined, and it was run down, and they didn't think what people were going to do next. So I'm saying this. The once mighty British motorcycle industry, and if you think that BSA used to have a slogan, one in four is a BSA, and what they meant by yeah. that was one in four of all the motorcycles sold in the world not in Britain, in the world, was a BSA. It was run down to the extent that nobody wanted them, nobody wanted the parts, nobody wanted those old bikes, but your grandad thought, no, people will want this stuff. And so he started his shop and and became one of the most famous suppliers of parts for those British bikes in the world. And don't be modest, don't be modest, because he did.
1: The first 10 years, he was known as Unity Spares. Yeah. of Rochdale, and that's what they did. They just sold British spares, and then after that, the 70s, that's when the Cafe Racer shop started closing. Different thing then. Yeah, I think that's something to do with what you're saying with the mills and everyone stopping working. No-one had no money. More, everyone had more cars. Told so me granddad bought John Pickle, and then that's when they changed the name to Unity Equip because they started selling Cafe Racer bits.
0: And had an advert in the...
1: Racer shop.
0: And had an advert famously in the first copy of Classic Bike magazine.
1: And, yeah, in the seventies. And still, like, has that it... were first like Yeah, first years at seventies, weren't they?
0: Nineteen seventy-nine, I think that was the first edition of Classic Bike, and and the only the only people to have an advert in every single edition of Classic Bike from then to now.
1: Yeah, and they interviewed him. They interviewed him in like seventh seventh whatever issue of it, uh, and then interviewed me last year. All and right. I worked that out, and they were, they were 40 years apart, they were. Wow, yeah.
0: Oh, you're making me feel like more though.
1: than that, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's good, in it, for my granddad? But he was in, like, the Spun at first ones, and then he was in seventh issue, and now they're on, like, 470, or yeah. or something. Or they might have just had the 400th anniversary. Yeah. Which is crazy, you it know? That's a lot of magazines onwards. Yeah, and, and, and... I did it, I jumped in.
0: And the strange thing is that a lot of the content in something like Classic Bike Today is what was the content when the first issue came out. It's it's really centred around sporting British motorcycles, sporting and touring bikes. Not so much the bread and butter stuff, because people can get a somewhat rose-tinted view of the British motorcycle industry that it was all the sexy twin-cylinder, you know, fast stuff, or the big sort of touring stuff, Vincent's Bruffs, yeah. sun, Sunbeams. No, it was mainly... Single cylinder Villiers engined or or whatever. Get to work bikes, wasn't it? The vast majority yeah, of like motorcycles
1: the, on, were like that. Yeah, on the on the back streets of Manchester, and everyone doing them in the back to back houses. Yeah, but that's how like me dad started. Me my dad worked at a local engineering place, and he was born in '60, mm. and he lost his job engineering in the '80s. First year of the eighties, they all lost the jobs. Everyone around here. Yeah,
0: Uh, same happened to my dad. uh, The the mill shut, and my dad ended up. He went working for Asda, managing a big Asda store in Bolton. And he just decided that he didn't like that, and so he set up on his own as like a jobbing builder. And it was. I said to him the other day. I said, Dad, that was the best thing you ever did. That was the best thing that happened to you when the mill shut, because my dad was a different man after that, when he was out and about in his van, because my dad's a real people person. If I'm I'm an extroverted character, I get it from my father. My dad's a real outgoing guy, a real friendly guy... And when he started yeah. working on his own and going round in his lands, and he specialised in like roofing on big churches and old mill buildings. When I was a kid we used to go up on churches, see Fred Dibner's initials that he carved on these church towers and all that, just yeah, do it yeah. just doing bits yeah. of jobs. And he was my dad was a lot happier in that time of his life than he was when he was doing nine to five in the mill.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would say, how good's Fred Dibner? Fred Dibner knocked down the chimney behind the back of my workshop. Did he? Uh, I, I, yeah, I watched him do that when I was little. I was probably about the same age, about four year old or something. And me me, me dad took me to go and have a look at the logs underneath it when he was doing the logs,
0: mm.
1: which is good, isn't it? He's, he's a local, eater, local hero, isn't Oh, Dibner.
0: yeah. Well, I used to <laughs> I used to see him because I, one of the... one every,
1: the... everyone used to see him, didn't they? Well, yeah,
0: because one of the courses that I did... At college was at um, the Chadwick campus in Bolton, there, just outside the town centre, and where Fred lived, and he used to ride round on that AJS. He had an AJS. Do you remember?
1: Yeah, yeah, dead nice one. Yeah, I've seen that.
0: Yeah, and he used to ride round in it, and I always, so I used to see him just bobbing about on it, and I'd think, yeah, I think this would have been the eighties, and I was thinking, why isn't that man wearing a crash helmet? Because he never, never wore
1: a <laughs> I think That he was j- like his weekend car, weren't it, that? <laughs> his sports car that he had. He'd yeah. drive his Land Rover all week and then nip around on that bike at weekend.
0: I think, right, this is a controversial view, but I'm going to say it. I think if Fred had a flaw, he romanticised um, that sort of work. Because yeah, for, everything. A, for a lot of people, it was all right for Fred. He was his own man going round in his Land Rover, doing his work on his terms. So it was all right for him. But if you had to clock on in a factory or a mill or an engineering works or whatever, and stand at a lathe or supervise a loom or whatever it was that you were doing, a lot of people hated every second of that, if we're honest. Yeah. If we're absolutely honest, you know. Yeah. So And yet it was work for people, and and, and before that, you know... um, uh, they weren't doing as well as, it was often well-paid work, but let's not pretend that people loved working in those mills and factories, because, do you know what, here's the thing with motorbikes, I, you know, people say to me, oh, I'd love to work in a motorbike factory or whatever, and I think, do you know what, I bet you
1: wouldn't. <laughs> you won't, no, no one wants to come and work with me, it's just me. <laughs> really? Yeah, I try getting my little brother to help me, but he, he's in France now, doing mountain biking.
0: Oh right, right. When you say doing like, mountain biking, is he building them or is he racing them, or
1: he works at like a chalet company, right? Helping. So you you book in over there, stay in their chalet, and they'll take you out on little rides and stuff, down mountains.
0: I can't imagine why he would I can't imagine why he wouldn't want to be in a dirty, yeah, smelly engineering nah. shop in Rochdale instead of doing that. What's nah. <laughs> What's wrong with it? Right,
1: He's mad, isn't He's it? Absolutely <laughs> mad. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so what we, we were talking about? It, my dad, weren't we? And he like he lost his job. He were he were racing bikes, and he were racing bikes to Sid's place. Yeah. And he lost his job, and he were also he were buying spares from uh from my granddad's shop because he started selling all the racing stuff because he he bought Manx Norton and Annie threw John Tickle. Yeah. So he would go going there, and he off Sid's place in. Well, Radcliffe, wasn't it? He yeah. got a, a Rudge, a Rudge three hundred and fifty sand racer, and put that on the track. He used to go up on tower doing sprints with it, uh, and he got a Tri Mackie, which were a Triumph in an Air Mackie frame.
0: You do started anyway, racing. Think, you do started racing rudges, didn't you, back in the day? Who's which fam- which massively famous person in the history of motor racing started out racing Rudges? Duke. Yeah, it, yeah, but I'm saying motor racing, not motorcycle racing. Enzo Ferrari. The original Ferrari, the original Scudia Ferrari was Rudge motorcycles, then Alfa Romeo's, and then his own cars. But the, he originally started. And my grandfather, John Moore, was a Rudge man. Got a picture. Rudge was. Yeah, the Rugg proper Rugg were, yeah, proper sporting yeah, motorcycles, man. weren't they? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, they looked nice with the Rudges. Oh, yeah, yeah beautiful. My dad's weren't. It were all oily and black. Because it used to be a sand racer, so it was just painted like black with sand, black with sand, black with sand, <laughs> oil all over it. But well, where would uh, hold he, on,
0: Ben? Where, where would he race that? Places like Southport and uh, Mablethorpe? Would that have been?
1: No, no, he didn't. He didn't do no sand racing with it. He put some uh, some road tyres on it and right. did sprints with it. Yeah, so he was going up on tower with it and stuff like that. And they used to do a sprint down the front of Blackpool Prom, didn't they? Did they? On the, yeah, on the wall. I know they had a oh, race at New nice.
0: New Brighton on the Wirral along along the promenade there.
1: But I didn't know yeah, they had them all They used to have them all over at the didn't they?
0: Yeah, and They're we were talking about this. A... <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this a few weeks ago. It wasn't nec- people have to understand, it wasn't necessarily for the benefit of motorcyclists. These seaside resorts would put things on like that to draw in to get people to come. To yeah, draw like in the gen- the general public. I mean we were talking about a mate of mine who used to get taken to the TT every year, even though his yeah. parents weren't his dad, wasn't a motorcyclist, they just liked going to the Isle of Man where there was this massive free show, and a lot of people went, um, just for something to do, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, that's what I know you from there, don't from uh, the Rosendale bike show, indeed. Yeah, I know that, your voice from there as well, don't that I? That was
0: a that was a great that was a great event. It just got so big, yeah. didn't it? It, it was got just,
1: massive, massive. Yeah, you could move.
0: It was like some guys thought, Oh, we'll just have a little bit of the town centre motorbike show. And it just I snowballed we into this giant yeah. event every year. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was as big as the town, weren't it? <laughs> In the end. I'll yeah. tell
0: you, I had one of my worst moments on the stage at that at that event. Um they 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 did a raffle, yeah. and they asked me to draw the tickets. So I donated a crash helmet that I'd worn on the telly, a BFE crash helmet, and it was it was really nice. And I'd only worn it a couple of times. And uh, they made it the main prize. And this, you know, they gave away I don't know bottles of whiskey. You know, like you've all been there, haven't we? Oh, you've won a bottle of whiskey, or you've won, you know, a cheese wheel, or <laughs> whatever it is. And they said, right, and now the guy who's on the stage. Now for the Steve, we'll ask Steve Berry to draw the main prize for his BFI crash helmet as seen on BBC television's Top Gear. First mention of Top Gear, how, how far are we in? 38 minutes, right. So um, so he said, Steve, would you pull the winning ticket? And I pulled it out and I went, and there were thousands of people, I mean, like we said, the show got massive. Thousands of people stood in front of this stage and I, I read out, Blue 32 and the bloke holding the bucket went, oh, that's me, like this. And you, there was to say that there was a bad atmosphere. <laughs> All these people are clutching <laughs> the tickets, and I go blue thirty two, and the bloke holding the bucket pulls his, t- his tickets out of his back pocket and goes, "Oh, that's me." And I thought, "Oh dear, <laughs> oh dear." Years, see what? Well, <laughs> you know what people are like. Years later, people had got. Pe- years later, people had said to me, "That was a swizz, that that helmet that got." And I was like, "Oh God, people, people don't." <laughs> People don't forget, do they? You know. No. Yeah. Don't let him anywhere near that <laughs> either, ever again. <laughs> so he got he got that rudge, and he entered it into sprints. And and, and, and what was there a lot of was there a lot of things that because now there's loads of classic racing, whether it's two wheels or four wheels. But back in the you know there's pre sixty five trials. There's all sorts of historic race series, twin shock, yeah. all that sort of stuff. But back in the day, was there a series that he that he could run that bike in? there wouldn't have been he,
1: adult, went and, he went and run it up at Carnaby and Elvington all them places you know the All 66 club Peter Hillaby's
0: yeah
1: all what? them trucks where he'd run 50 races in a day Oliver's,
0: kind of Oliver's Mount yeah
1: yeah but yeah my dad died at Oliver's Mount so he, he was always in that club in the Auto 66 club yeah uh, and the, yeah he, he, he lost his job before that he'd gone, in, he'd gone into the shop and met my mum that's how he'd met my mum
0: oh wow you don't tend to meet that many Just women in in, mo- in, the shop. in motorbike shops, do you? Was she? Uh, had she? Had she gone in to get some uh, grinding paste for a, for a valve or something like that? Why was she in the shop?
1: <laughs> I think one week he'd heard that she'd got done for uh, drinking the whiskey. She took whiskey out of me grandma's cupboard, <laughs> took <to> a pie, <laughs> and she'd got done for it. So my dad had bought her a bottle of whiskey from the shop. Cause my dad was like nineteen and she was seventeen, right? And then uh, after that they met out in uh, town because my dad used to go to uh, college in Rochdale, so he knew everyone in Rochdale, and he used to knock around on his bike around Rochdale. And uh, what would
0: uh, race, what would what would that bike have been? Would that have been the Rudge? No, he
1: had a three fifty Honda K four. Yeah, and he used, to, he used to ride around on that race place with it and stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I tell you what, it's There's funny. In the it's funny how people come on this show frequently and tell these stories about uh, sort of misadventures involving the authorities, sort of running from the cops yeah. on on and bikes crashing. with yeah, with no license, no insurance, no, no nothing. But and it seems, yeah. I don't know, it seems to be. It seems to be... We're not talking about stuff that was nicked. We're talking about, you know, stuff where you'd neglected to acquire the correct certification for what you were doing. I mean, I've told this story many times. When my driving licence eventually arrived, it had a bit taped to the bottom, sellotape to the bottom because there wasn't room to put yeah. all the driving endorsements that I'd already clocked up before I was legally holding <laughs> enough. I remember thinking, even as a sort of 16-year-old, I remember thinking, it's not good when they have to sell a tape your, all your endorsements to the bottom of your driving licence. That's that's not... No,
1: a... I think at one point, my dad got banned. He got banned for doing that. He raced the police Capri to college, I think, lost them down some back streets, went back home, and the Capri were parked outside his house, outside my grandma's house, and he got banned for that because uh, he caught him speeding, and he thought he could outrun him. <laughs> well, he did outrun him, but yeah, they knew where he lived, so yeah, that was the problem with me.
0: Banned. I did that. I thought, well, I'm not stopping, and they just went round. They just went went round to my house because they knew it was me. <laughs>
1: yeah, they knew everyone were.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Banned
1: him. My mum had to take him racing uh, in her car with a trailer on the back.
0: Because he was banned. and that, that,
1: Yeah, that's how he used to go and get his fixes then. So then he got proper into racing. Me mum and dad got married, obviously. Uh, and me granddad, when me dad lost his job in the engineering place, me granddad were well busy with all the Manx Norton stuff. Because he bought that and he was going through all the drawings and getting tanks made and wheels made and all that kind of stuff. But he said to me, dad, do you want to take the exhaust pipes off me? Because yeah. me granddad used to make all the exhaust pipes. For me, Dad set up. Or they helped me, Dad set up. It was Unibend Limited. Uni
0: Bend up. Limited, excellent. Yeah, what a with, great name with
1: the with the uh, Uni as part of the Unity, obviously, and then Bend. Mm. Uh, yeah, they set that up in the mill, round right the back of where I am now, in the basement of the mill. Yeah. Proved some machines, and they bought some machines, and they just set up there doing exhaust pipes. Me Dad did, um, and then he did a few years, bought out me Granddad. So he went on his own. They were Unibend engineering then. When
0: did it start to be when did it start to be a big deal and when did Because 'cause I've been in the shop I think I've only been in the shop a couple of times, but what struck me about being in the Unity shop was a stack of parcels of different, you could see kind of what was in the parcel. You think, oh, that's a fuel tank or that's a seat unit or whatever. But the addresses uh, the on Australia,
1: the America, addresses, America, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what struck me
0: around the world yeah, Japan, Hong Kong, like Japan, that. Australia, South Africa, going all stuff going out from Rochdale to all Korea. over the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've, I've sent I I've sent a, a cafe racer parlor, just a little tank toggle, fastening your Manx Norton tank down. Uh, to Korea. I don't know if it was South Korea. It must have been South Korea. But you wouldn't think they'd be sending them that far, would you? Well, when it did that... South Africa. When did I'm that honestly,
0: yeah. When did that start, or was that, always, was that always there? Because, of course, the British motorcycle industry sent a lot of the interesting stuff. Like we talked about Bantam C-15s, the get-to-work stuff, that was mainly here in the UK and in places maybe like India. But the sporty stuff the majority of the sporty stuff went to North America at one point, didn't it? Because it was export or die. And so the likes of Triumph and Norton and BSA sold a lot of motorcycles in North America. And did, did your granddad and, and your dad start to see demand from that part of the world? And does that, is that yeah. demand still there today?
1: Yeah, too. like the things we've been talking about, it goes across board that, like when I was, I was born in 86 and me, dad were racing for my granddad then, he stopped racing for Sid's place mm. uh, and he would started racing, my granddad sponsored him, he built him a Manx Norton, a tickle frame 350 Norton out of all the spares he got and my dad went racing that and my dad built a B50 to go with it, a BSA B50 so he should have a 350 and a 500 bike mm. and they were both unity sponsored and the classic bike racing were massive then, yep. it was sponsored by Kennings tyres to start off with and then it turned into the Classic Bike Magazine series, I think, in the like, late 80s, and then ran all the way through to 2000s, I would have thought. Yeah, but... It doesn't exist anymore, does it, that Classic Bike Magazine race series? Yeah,
0: but today, when you go to like the Goodwood Revival, one of the biggest deals is the is the classic bike race there for Manxes and and G50s and all that sort of stuff. And you get top riders, top riders from around the world competing in that race. You've got like, you know, John McGuinness, Wayne Gardner, Barry Sheen used to race in that that race. And almost every single bike in it, apart from a very, very suspiciously fast BMW, seems to be a British bike.
1: Well, that's yeah that all started with that kennings tire series that my dad used to race that 350 tickle manx in and the b50 in uh that started off as the kennings tire series then it changed into the classic bike magazine series which were big and then you have the things like scarborough bike week didn't you mm. which were massive and then after that yeah then you start getting the classic ct
0: yeah, but if I go, if well, I go, to, if I go to the states, I mainly go to California because my missus has got house there. So we go, yeah. we go over there, and my interest in motorcycling is very broad. But I find myself instinctively drawn to the British bike crowd. Or well, when I say the British bike crowd, what I found is over there in, in in sort of LA, San Francisco, well, in California generally, is that my age group of guys are mainly of. of the fire blades Pretty and the gi- and the jixers and all that behind them, and it's younger guys. And, and it's over there, it does seem to be there, does seem to be quite a divide in, in terms of ethnicity as well. A lot of the black guys and Hispanic guys are on 600s and blades and, and stuff like that, whereas the middle aged yeah, guys oh, like mine are on Ducatis, Guzzies, Nortons, Triumphs, you know, that sort yeah, of stuff, yeah, yeah, and,
1: and so.
0: Yeah, there's a massive... You, you you go around California, and every town and every city has got numerous classic bike specialists doing Triumph, yeah. BSA, Norton, because they sold so many bikes over there. She, she would... Uh, my missus was... Uh, I was say this. She was working in Toronto. She's in the film business. We've mentioned this loads of times on the show. She was working in Toronto, and she yeah. decided, well, she was there to buy a bike, and she bought a TR7 Triumph, not the car, the bike, right? Yeah. And... Um, she couldn't start it. <laughs> she couldn't start it because she's not she's not exactly thick set, you know. She's 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 a delicate creature. She's you know.
1: Yeah, didn't have enough weight to push it down.
0: Couldn't start it. So when I got there, I went over to see her when I got there. She'd taken a picture of it, and I was like, "Oh, fantastic!" She said, "I'm going to ride her in Toronto on this bike." So, like, oh, fantastic! So I got there, and I realised it hadn't moved from the position she'd taken the picture. <laughs> that had been weeks, weeks previously. So, yeah, I got it started. I think it started third kick, <laughs> and then she was working. So I just rode around Toronto and its environs on this Triumph. And it got to the point, Ben, where I parked it round the back of everywhere because if I parked it out the front, no matter where I went, if I went to the post office, if I stopped at a cafe or a bar, wherever I went, fuel station, people would start talking to me about the bike. They'd go, they'd either say, I used to have one of them, or I had a commando and I did, or I've still got, back home, I've got a, you know, I've got a light, you know, they've got whatever. And I thought, wow, in those parts of the world, Australia, South Africa, Canada, new zealand there was just as much interest in british bikes of that period right up until probably the commando and the last iterations of the bonneville as the as there was in britain and now the same interest in the modern triumphs because like i said those lads that i know over in north in california they've got an old classic bike and a lot of them a lot of them I've got a Modern Triumph. And when I say a Modern Triumph, I mean a Speed Triple, the Thruxton, which is a fantastic machine, or, uh, you know, uh, one one of the iterations of the Bonneville, or even a Speed um, Triple, not a Speed Triple, what's that giant thing called, the Rocket 3?
1: Yeah yeah like a transit van thing <laughs> hey i like them yeah. don't we don't i got the, busted it's 2.3 or something in it
0: yeah the new one have you seen the new one litre. have you seen the new yeah, one I'm a massive what a phen- <laughs> what a phenomenal looking and riding motorcycle i got busted for what 138 one, by the if highway. It
1: fell
0: over. yeah don't fall over if it
1: fell over you'd, 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 you'd be knackered, wouldn't you would you been knackered would not you Never, never fitting a 2.3 up or whatever.
0: So I, I always like, look, you've got a great website. What's your website? racenexhaust.co.uk or something like that?
1: racensuk.com
0: I think. RacinesUK.com. racensuk.com
1: yeah. yeah,
0: and on Facebook. You, you're very active on there. And I love looking at the stuff you're working on because you're always doing work on interesting bikes. And is it... Yeah. Have you must have, you, have you, you got blase about it by now, though, after doing it for so long.
1: I I do a bit and everyone else says what I do is really interesting. And I just think, oh, well, they're just race bikes. But it's
0: just what I do. I can
1: see it from both sides, yeah. yeah. Or I like to try and step away from it every now and again and have a look and just think, oh, you go and watch the racing. If you want and watch the racing and watch your pipes going round, you get to see it as a, as a fan, don't you, as a spectator. Mm. You think, wow, oh, that's really good. And then I come back and I have, a, I have a few more race bikes in the workshop and I think, right, I'm going to start making exhaust pipes on them.
0: And you've got an excess, you've got an XS six fifty there. That's your bike, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I've swapped I've swapped things for it <laughs> over the years. I started off, some guy couldn't pay for his exhaust pipes, and he said, Will you take a bike for swaps? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. So it, yeah, I bought his bike off him for the price of a set of exhaust pipes. And then I swapped a set of carbs for another set of exhaust pipes, and I swapped a set of electronics for uh, electrics. Yeah, but all the electrics, looms, everything. For uh, <laughs> a place in a queue, because he was like, "Can you have, can you do it in two weeks?" And I said, "No, I've got two months waiting list." And he was like, "No, I need it in two weeks." So I let him jump the queue in exchange for all his electrics, and I've just built it up from
0: that. How far is it off? Finish that. It doesn't look too far off. Finish that one. What have you got to swap next? Not- what have you got to get a swap for next for it? I don't know,
1: some, I could do with some tyres, but I'll have to go shop for them. And They're not going to swap exhaust parts, are they? I don't think. Uh, everything else, yeah, it's going to be new now, isn't it? I've got rubbers and seals and tyres and all that kind of... Yeah. To put on battery. I can't do swaps for a battery. Ben, isn't it
0: funny that, a... that that sort of bike, like your XS650 Yamaha, or I, my missus has got a, a cafe racer Thruxton, 07 Thruxton, the last year of the carbed Triumph Thruxton, the new yeah. the new Triumph, but the last year cabret carburetors on them. And it's all cafeed yeah. up and there's there's a load of parts that I managed to get off you guys on that bike. You're very very kind to me in that yeah. you actually knocked up a couple of things that you don't actually because I turned up going, Can I get some parts of this? And you went, No, we don't get parts of that, go away. But I was persistent. I was persistent, and in the end you made me a couple of things. But um those that sort of look that sort of look a bike, if you look on the internet and you go on things like bike EXIF or Cylodrome or any of these websites that are on there that sort of bike, cafe racers, bobbers, choppers, old-school choppers particularly, it's not going away. They're more popular than they ever were right now in, in yeah, 2021. Who'd have thought it? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Not, yeah,
1: everybody wants to be individuals, don't they, This in this modern day, so everybody wants an individual bike. Yeah,
0: but good? I think the problem is that motorcycles have evolved to such a stage now, modern... and. A, Please don't think I'm having to go up modern bikes. Modern bikes are great. They're amazing. They work, they stop, they go, the electrics work. They sort you out if you're having a problem because they've got traction and ABS and all sorts of stuff built in, so you can go... But they all you, look same, don't they? You can't really improve them, Ben. That's the problem. No, you can't yeah. improve what they're doing, whereas back in the day, you could make a yeah. change to handlebars, you could change the carburetor, the pipes put some of your pipes yeah. on it, and you could instantly tell that you've made it a better motorbike. You've made it stop better, turn better, go faster. You've made it better. Yeah. You go and buy a modern BMW Ducati Triumph, maybe not Harley Davidson, you can always improve them. But if you buy a modern bike from those manufacturers, particularly the Japanese manufacturers, um, you can't yeah. you can't improve oh, that, on what oh, they've that, done. Sorry. Yeah, that
1: BMW that goes around the TT, yeah, yeah, you can't go any faster than... But you, they can, but... Yeah, who wants bike? to? Go, who it's wants a to? rocket ship, isn't it? <laughs> Jay Leno says
0: on his channel, Jay Leno's always said, there's a, motor- a man who understands motorcycles and what they're about. I bet you've done work for him, haven't you? Go on, you won't tell me if you have. No. Yeah,
1: no, I have. I mean, should. Sure. me granddad might have done, though. You see pipes everywhere that yeah. my grandad's made over the years, well, the family's made.
0: Well, here's what Jay says. All the fun happens between 40 and 120, and he's right. Whether it's a car or a yeah. bike, all the real fun happens between 40 and 120 mile an hour so if, you, <laughs> if you're building things that do 220 well good luck to yeah. you but the only pl- the only place that's going to end up is the hospital and jail if you're going to go out on yeah. stuff that's that quick you know i'm not it sounds morning and like old guy going oh you don't want to be going dead fast because blah 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 well you <laughs> might you might want to go dead fast it's up to you but trust me if you're in britain or you're in any sort of country like Britain, where we have laws, you know, if you're going to go out and regularly exceed, if you're going to do double the... Which at one point in my life I was doing it all the time, and it got me in a pile of trouble. A pile of trouble. Do you know what the police don't like? If you do 155 miles an hour down the M66, they really don't like it. They can't let you off. They can't go... They can't go, it's not like you're doing 87 miles an hour in a 70. They go, yeah, 155. We can't really let you off for that. We think we might have to send you to jail. And you think, and you, you saying, yeah, but this bike does 200, which the bike I was on did. And they go, well, that's not really an excuse. <laughs> no, it's you not needed, is it, that much speed? Yeah, so what, First, I, yeah. Yeah, what I've done is gone back to something that's got wire wheels and it's got about, on a good day, I think it's got about... We we did dino it. I went to that place in Warrington and got it dinoed. Very good there. Hey, guess who was there when yes. I was there? Getting it dinoed. Paul Hollywood.
1: Oh, what, what were it? What were his two
0: No, he was on an MV. he, oh, was on an MV yeah, he likes thing. that
1: kind of stuff, though, doesn't he? Italian stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice guy, he seemed. Yeah. You know, very straightforward. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it, how people yeah. think that they know somebody off the telly. It's like... uh yeah. And then you they meet them in real life, and they go, "Do you know what? He was nothing like." Is it? <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just, it's Clarkson's the same. People say to me, "Well, what's he like?" And I go, "He's sort of like he is on telly, but not as annoying, not nearly as annoying." Yeah. You know, he's he's yeah. on the telly. He's brand Clarkson, isn't he? He's like right, yeah, he puts it on. He has to be that man. Yeah, yeah. He, he's acting a role. He's got a persona he's got a persona and he's like yeah Yeah. that's who i that's who i am and that's what i'm doing but i notice that he's subtly changing it because he's i think he's getting to an age now because he's got to be well no i think cleverly he's realized that he can't be arsing around forever so forever he's changing his persona into this sort of gentleman farmer thing where he's got his farm and he's Keeps banging on about that, and I'm thinking, yeah, he's going for the sort of uh, he, he's there's a subtle career shift, I think, going on here, but he's clever, there's, yeah. there's no doubt about it. He's a clever guy, I don't like motorbikes, he's the wrong shape for motorbikes. You see, <laughs> well, you see, you see, sir, I remember Matt Pinson, the Sir Matt Pinson, uh, I knew him reasonably well at one point, and he gave me. A, he called me and he said, Steve, I'm gonna get a motorbike, and I went, right, okay. And he said, uh, what should I get? And I went, well, you need to go to a motorbike. Because he's a giant individual. He's not just tall. Everything about him is massive. When he shakes your hand, you feel like a child. Because your hand feels like (laughs) a child's hand inside his giant paw. And I said to him, Matt, you need to go to a motorbike shop and find out what fits you. And he rang me and he went, there's only two bikes in the shop that fit me. (laughs) <laughs> like this, and I like, I've, I've
1: got big shovel arms. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I said. Well, big
0: Yeah, said. Well, it's because you're a big giant bloke. And again, the guy, yeah. we, the guy we had on last, last week, who you probably know Nigel Pickering, who was who was on the show last week. Nigel, who's not, he's not the tallest of fellas. He adds, and you know, if you're less than thirty inside leg. You're really limited, in... it doesn't really happen in cars, does it? Because in a car, you can move the you can move the wheel in and out, up and down. You can move with, the seat. Yeah, with motorbikes. On a bike, it is what it is. Well, yeah. back in the day, the only bike remember back in the day the only bike where you could adjust the seat and the bars was a BMW, wasn't it? And a lot of yeah. motorcyclists used to go, oh yeah, they used to sort of sneer at that sort of thing, didn't it? There's like any anything that sort of made you was comfortable, like. An adjustable seat or heated grips or that back in the day you were like oh i don't i don't want anything to do with that and then yeah you... I've been... go on
1: well, i've been making a lot i've been making a lot of stuff like that uh swan neck clip-ons where they move the handlebars up two inches
0: right for,
1: for the air yeah, for the older gentleman don't
0: they call yeah, the
1: those come for ride
0: those swan-neck ones, don't they call those ace bars? You know, where it's the, they look like clip-ons, but they're actually not. It's a bar. Because, of course, clip-ons... Ace
1: bars, ace bars bolt on the top, don't they, and drop down. Yeah. So they're, yeah, so they're like a clip-on, but they bolt onto the top. So It's yeah. like a set of handlebars turned upside down, aren't they, ace bars? Yeah. Yeah, swan-necks, they come up off the side off the side of your forks, nice little bow on them, so then they come up to the top of your york So it's a bit like having a flat bar, like what you would have on a bandit or something like that. It just makes it a little bit more comfy.
0: You must see...
1: About, yeah, customising.
0: You must see the trends through, through the business that you've been involved in all your life and that your family's been involved in for three generations now. You must see what's coming next. And I do wonder... Oh, yeah, you do.
1: I you do see the difference between flat trackers and cafe racers, whether you're gonna put two pipes down one side or two pipes either side. Right they well, come and go all the time.
0: For the world of, of of interesting British bikes from that great era of the late fifties and early sixties mainly, is yes. there still the same interest or is it start as as the generation who were kids back then and dreamed of owning? Uh, uh, a gold star, a Bonneville, a Lightning—you know—dreamed of owning those bikes, and then are we seeing a are we seeing a shift? Because those guys, I don't know how to put this. I'm just going to say it out loud: those guys are dying, right? <laughs> because it yeah. was 50 years ago when they were kids, and then yeah. is there another generation that have got the same? sort of passion for those bikes and interest in those bikes and want to customise them and restore them and still race them and stuff like that?
1: I think there is and people buy old Hondas for that reason but there's no one well there is people with, if you've got money you can buy a Triumph but the prices are too high on the British bike stuff. Right. so everyone buys an Honda don't they or like me get that XS650 or yeah. buy an old Suzuki that someone do not want but even the prices of them going up because everybody wants a two stroke now People, yeah, people your age want two strokes. Best, but now, <laughs> yeah, because... But they, now they want RDs, don't they? Well, RDs ben, are well, expensive.
0: I remember my dad. I've told this story a million times on this show. I was 10 years old. I'm in my bedroom. I had a little snooker table, a tiny little snooker table I got for my birthday. Me and my brother are playing snooker yeah. on this little sort of shrunk-down snooker table in my bedroom. And I hear outside the window... And I I thought... (laughs) And my dad had gone to work that morning on a Honda Cub. He'd gone to work on a Honda Cub. So when I looked out the window, even though I saw a man wearing a donkey jacket and a spray-painted visorless black full-face helmet that used to be blue, but he'd painted it black... And was clearly my dad. I didn't put the two together because I thought, who's that bloke who looks like my dad sat on that amazing Yamaha RD400 Daytona yellow with black and white speed blocks going ring, ring, ding ning 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 and I thought, it is my dad. So I ran downstairs and he said, Get on the back. And I said, uh, What about helmet? And he said, Here's the best bit. This is a totally 70s story. Here's the best bit. I've got my Snorkel Parker on, haven't I? My olive green, orange lining Snorkel Parker. He said, yeah. Put, put your hood up. <laughs> put your hood up? Dad, what about a crash? Show? Put, right. put your hood up. <laughs> we sat off down the A56 towards Manchester. <laughs> Me, man, ring never yeah. f- ringing its neck. I'll never forget it. I'm 10 years yeah. old. We come back. We come back and he said, uh, don't tell your mother. <laughs> it's, as I'm getting off outside, <laughs> he said, go, through the, go in the back door. Don't tell your mother like this. So I must tell you this. 20 how how much later so I'm 10 when that happens and I'm 30 years later I'm in I've got a track day Lancia Delta turbo and I'm I'm driving it back this isn't a good story I shouldn't probably tell this but I'm going to I'm driving it back from where I had it repainted I probably shouldn't have it wasn't exactly street legal right It's got five point race harnesses in it, it's completely stripped out, caged, it's got a massive turbo on it, all that sort of stuff, right? Driving it back from the bus garage where they have it (laughs) resprayed. Thank you, lads at the bus garage, did a really good job. Driving it home, and I'm thinking it's only a couple of miles. Got my son with me, He's, he's 10, you know, like I was 10 on the back of my dad's RD. Yeah, he's with me. He's just, his mind's blown. He's ten. he loves cars, bikes. His mind's blown by this car. It's, we called it Satan's Biscuit tin. It was evil, that that Lancia. So he's, he's, he's sat yeah. in it, five-point harness, strapped in as best he can. We go past the police car going in the opposite direction, and he looks in the mirror and he went, Dad, that police car's turning around. <laughs> so I just go, this is a terrible story to it. I shouldn't be promoting this sort of behaviour. I thought... Oh. I thought, I cannot <laughs> I cannot be being stopped in this thing. I was like, I know it's not good and an accident can happen at any time or whatever. Anyway, I've started now, so I'll finish. Put my foot down a bit, took a left turn, took a right turn and went up somebody's drive. Went up somebody's drive with a bungalow, parked it right at the bottom. We got out of the car. I said, right, over this wall, climbed a wall and went over the back fields and through the cemetery to get home. And we're running along and my lad says to me, this is really exciting. And I thought, in when he said that, I thought, yeah, like when I was 10 and my dad took me on the back of that RD and I said to him, Yeah, don't tell your mum. And even as I was saying it, I thought, that's what my dad said to me. <laughs> 30 <laughs> years ago, when we were on that RD going 100 mile an hour down Manchester <laughs> Road. So,
1: you know. Yeah, well, it's not your fault, is it? They made things that went super, super fast back then. Just they made crazy things, didn't they? Motorbikes, cars, hey, all
0: crazy. What about what about the Kawasaki's? If if people thought the Yamaha RD was nuts, what about the Kawasaki Triple Two Strokes? They were mental. Yeah, the Triple with the yeah. Ripple, Kawasaki Z One, yeah. Kawasaki Z One Turbo. The 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 bike yeah, that like they sold you, the lightning bikes. Yeah, the, the bike that they sold you with a sticker over where it should be the warranty, a sticker that they put there saying it basically said you're On your own with this thing, if you've bought this, it basically said that because normally, at your
1: peril. yes,
0: normally it would have had the warranty and they put a sticker on it. You can have Days Marsden, Zed Power, one of the world's leading experts on them bikes in Wigan, Lancashire. It's yeah. amazing how many people there are in this part of the world who don't just aren't just have a rep- like you guys and like Unity, don't just have a reputation within the UK, have a reputation for quality and knowledge of, of the bikes. Throughout the world, it's a really rich yeah. biking culture that we come from, really, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's nice. Everyone knows everything about everyone, and everyone knows everything about everything.
0: Yeah, and sometimes yeah, that's like, sometimes that's the problem, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's everything, all of it, isn't it? Like the the culture, all of it. Yeah, I just make exhaust bikes, but you've got to know whether they go on a flat tracker or a road racer or a street bike or a yeah a Sometimes you're working out whether they're from the war and they should be covered in silver paint or black paint or nickel. or Yeah, when you get down to the years like that, yeah, things get a bit mad, don't they? You have to start going into the culture of it all. Mm. Like, What would someone be running then? Would they actually run a pipe like that or would they have just sprayed it silver?
0: You're a, in some ways, there's a lot of guys like you, and in some ways you're a combination of a craftsman and also an archaeologist or a historian, yeah. yeah.
1: In a way, yeah, because you've got to try and re- uh, replicate, aren't you? What was, what was right sometimes. we are going into I've done a couple for a museum, for the museum, for the National Museum, and that's the same. Yeah, you've got to try and suss out, uh, yeah, that <laughs> what is right, whether it should have dints in it, and whether the weld should be a bit rougher to make it look right because it's been made in a factory.
0: Yeah, it's why. like. You, you, know. you see a lot of bikes that are restored, and they're like, they're like a Fabergé egg, aren't they? You think, Do you think that that, that BSA yeah, or Matchless ever actually managed that quality of chromium plating or paintwork or whatever it's yeah. like? Yeah. It, overdone. No,
1: they, they did on sometimes on that show picture that everyone copies. Everyone copies the one photograph out of the magazine, don't they? And that's a perfect example. And then the ones, that's almost like you comp, concept sketches that you get in the magazines, aren't they? And then the real one comes out, and you're like, it's a bit naff, that, isn't it? <laughs> mm.
0: <laughs>
1: they missed a lot of bits off it, or... Yeah, the chrome's a bit naff, or the pipe's a bit wonky. But hey, the picture been... that they try and advertise to you, they're perfect, aren't oh, they?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll ask you two questions. Sorry to talk so much. I should have shut. I've talked too much, be. I should have shut up and let you talk. But, but I get passionate. I'm passionate about it, right? That's that's in yeah. a way that's my problem. When I meet people like you, yeah, and I get, again. I get to exactly. I always say this at the end of every show. I say, I say you must come back on, right? Because there's so much to talk yeah. about. But I do get passionate yeah, about we'll it. Talk so I'll it next time. That's why, in, in conclusion to to this chat, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Firstly, how long's your waiting list?
1: Oh, it's a couple of months, right. three months at the moment.
0: Is and that all? Will, as, will you not take orders past that? Do you just say, "Look, I've got to get through this, and then try me"? Or
1: yeah, because we're relying on the race season and stuff now.
0: Right, and you all
1: relies on that. You know, yeah. yeah, you have to wait for the race season to start, and then the work drops off a little bit. But up until that point, you'll get anyone just phoning you up saying, "Can you do me a this week? Because I'm going to go testing next week, or I'm going to go. I've got a track day." Kind of thing, so mm. I have to leave slots open for the next three months,
0: and then, and
1: then once it gets into summer, right. they're all racing on a normal year.
0: I was going to say, and then, you, and then they start crashing, <laughs> and then you get phone calls going, "I yeah, need, and I need some pipes
1: for weekend." Yeah, yeah. So then, you have to leave slots for them, mainly because they're paying, aren't they? They've got a they pay for an entry fee. week after. Yeah, yeah. And a vintage guy's probably been building his bike since the sixties a lot of the times. Like, I've got this bike up in the loft that I'm building. Can you make me a set of pipes? So I can put that on holes for a little bit, can't I?
0: That's one and of the problems. All
1: the competition bikes.
0: Yeah, that's one of the problems with bikes. They're eminently storable, aren't they? So there's a lot of bikes that get stripped down, put in tea chests, like you've said, put up in the loft, yeah. and then they get forgotten about for decades sometimes.
1: Or oh, they're still, still acquiring bits now on eBay,
0: <laughs> kind of thing. So
1: I'm still trying to build it 60 years later. <laughs> and
0: then lastly, I, I just wanted to ask you, Ben, one of the things that people will often say to me, you'd have a much better take on this, is oh, all the old skills are going. Are they, or are they being passed on?
1: They're being passed on. I know a fair few young lads that are doing the same as me, that are making tanks and making frames, and all for all for the race bikes, and, yeah, for, like, dirt bikes and road races and stuff. But there's still people doing it, and we know all them people down at Bist, are still doing all the cars down there. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, these some young lads, there's just less of us, not there, now? Bit like people that work on steam engines. There's only an handful of them, aren't there?
0: Yeah, I suppose there's as long as the demand's there, the the skills can be acquired, but there needs to be sufficient reward because there's a lot of learning involved. There's many, many years of learning, and you're not you're not necessarily going to do that unless you can. It pays your bills.
1: Yeah, it's a lifetime, isn't it? Because, like you say, if you're researching all the history of it and everything, you just have to become that person. Just right. get fully involved. I'm I'm ten years in now. After Granddad showing me for a few years at the start, how to make exhaust pipes. I'm ten years in. I still when people phone me up and say, "Can you make one for this?" and I'm like, "I've never heard of one of them." <laughs> and you have to go on Google and look for images, yeah. and then you learn a bit more, don't you, about, about a Greaves or a dot or something like that. Mm. And it's really weird. I'm doing a Zenith at the moment, which is a 20s, 1920s bike.
0: Yeah, a Zenith. Is that would? Yeah. Is, is that a V twin?
1: Yeah, with a Jack V-Twin. Right, yeah. Real real nice bike, aren't they? And Zenith's Dennis a nice name as well, isn't it? It is,
0: yeah, they make nice... That's why
1: I yeah. I have to get, my, get all my books out and have a look, see what this should look like. <laughs> <laughs> Every
0: day is a school oh. day, isn't it, Ben?
1: Yeah, always learning, always learning.
0: That's it for another edition of Steve's Speed Shop. If you want to listen to it again... Don't worry, there's always the podcast or you can listen to it here on Fab. There's a repeat on Saturday. See you next week.